Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 135. I can't believe I'm not allowed to talk about Lost. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, you might know him from Hey Hey It's Saturday, but I like to think of him as Richie Cunningham to Frankie Holden's Potsy Weber. It's Wilbur Wilde. <laughs> Thank you very much, Josh. Episode 135 of The Box Cutters, exactly the same number of games that I never played for the Melbourne Football Club. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Cheers. And to my right, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Uh, it's a huge, huge show. We are very grateful to have Wilbur back with us. Uh, it's it's exciting. You were... Uh, you, you, you came in, filled in for, for Ross uh, one week. Ross is still on paternity leave. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's got a, a, a child in one hand, a baby in another, uh, and, uh, and, and just juggling them. I told all of my stories last time I was here. I'll just have to make some more up tonight. But uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard a couple that I've never heard uh, on you, just, uh, just on the radio before. Yeah, uh, of course, uh, being in the studio, you, you just had to, had to barge into the pinch and, uh, and and give your, your two cents worth, which was a, a huge delight, I'm sure, for, for Triple R listeners. Well, Chris and Declan were talking about me with Sammy J, and I can't just sit outside watching their lips move. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, there are a few details I had to go and clear up, but yeah, I no, do fair, enjoy the radio. Thank you, gentlemen. F- f- fair enough, too. We've got a huge show of box cutters ahead of us. We've got an I Don't Buy It. We have, being the first week of the month, James Talia calling all the way from France. Mm-hmm. We've uh, we're talking about uh, the new ABC offering the Gruen transfer. Yes, uh, we might uh, get a chance to uh, have some letters to box cutters, <laughs> and uh, and might uh, if I can think of a question between now and then have the box cutters quiz. But as always, let's kick things off with the box cutters news. The names have finally been announced uh, from SBS. Our uh, local presenters for Crap Top Gear have been announced. <laughs> Charlie Cox. You can't, you can't call it Crap Top Gear <laughs> yet. I mean, the, 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 assumption is, the assumption is that Australian Top Gear is not going to be as good as the UK Top Gear is. I mean, that's, that's the assumption that we've had. We've written about on the blog. We've talked about on the podcast. Uh, people have had their two cents about it. But I think to, to, call it, to call it crap Top Gear before we've seen it, <laughs> I think is, is maybe a little bit too harsh. Give, it, give them a chance. Let them have a first episode before we uh, burn it. And uh, where, where is our bar for, uh, for comparison sitting at? Is it uh, that drive, oh, if it's, if it's, drive show that uh, Glenn Ridge and, and co. were presenting at midnight on Channel 9? No, 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 no. Quite, quite frankly, if it's not as good as UK Top Gear... Then we can just call it Crap Top Gear. Can I just but- back you up a little bit there, Cropley? I did a segment on Glenn Ridge's motoring show. Ah. It was about star model custom lines and their relationship with an old 55 hit called On the Prowl. Mm-hmm. There is a, in, in the libretto of On the Prowl, there is a line, We parked the custer on somebody's front lawn. 
and the boys and I went in the back door. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but then, it, I wasn't it was actually... all right. Hey, it weren't no Oklahoma, but it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I wasn't actually having a go at drive. I was just asking if that's the bar that uh, <laughs> no, 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 live if, up to. If, if it's got the Top Gear name and it's not as good as the Top Gear that we see every week yep. from two years ago on SBS, mm-hmm. then, uh, then, no, then we can call it Crap Top Gear. Well, I think that now we can call it Crap Top no, Gear. Because we no, because we haven't seen it. The odds are stacked against it, though, you have to admit. because That's it, true, but you I'm, know, just I'm, I'm withholding instance, my judgment until until I actually see the evidence. In one, in, in one aspect, you know, good Top Gear has got access to all of those quality European automobiles, mm-hmm. whereas Crap Top Gear, as it's been christened <laughs> by, all they've got is Lindsay Fox's Auto Museum. <laughs> well, which, true. in fact, has some quality European yeah, automobiles. Definitely. Yeah, it's... Uh, that's that's great, and uh, and Lindsay Fox no doubt is uh, is going to be a, a huge sponsor of, uh, of of Australian Top Gear. And is SBS Top Gear going to be able to create the same frisson, the same integrity, the same interest, the uh, a compelling show by the use of what your sixty nine Corolla and your E H Holden? Well, y- you know what, I love an E H Holden. Oh, it's me too. And and I want to see an E.H. Holden go through its paces like it's it's never had done to it before. Or turned into a 30-foot-long stretch E.H. Holden. Oh, that'd be fantastic. I wonder if they're going to track down one of those uh, Cortinas with the Hemi in uh, popping out through the bonnet there. <laughs> the Lotus <laughs> Cortina. Six, just... six cylinders in the front and the other six under the back seat. And I, I, and I also I can't wait for their uh, their special investigation on the use of Oki straps. <laughs> but, Brett, who, who, who are the hosts going to be? The hosts are motorsport commentator Charlie Cox, yep. uh, who is 47 and apparently known for his classic one-liners. He's mm. uh, worked in Radio and Sydney... Uh, he did that in the 80s, won several motor racing titles in the 1990s and uh, had a near life-ending crash in 1995. Is, so is apparently he tr- he's just got through uh, recovering. Is he going to try to uh, take take the reign of uh, of the one we know as Coxie on television? Is he going to become Coxie and then Coxie from the Roxy is going uh, to do what? He's, he's going to have his, his crown taken from him as King Co- Coxie of television? Um. Yeah, I, don't, I, I suspect he's not going to be Coxie. I don't know. You, you, you don't think? Coxie there, had there is a, only uh, one Coxie from the Roxy. Coxie from the Roxy, Jeff Cox, had a Volkswagen, a Beetle, in the middle 70s. And they pulled into a service station in Punt Road on the way down to St Kilda. And there was a very well-dressed fellow in there slight build and he said are you guys heading down to St Kilda and they said yeah. he said yes I am he said he's good luck I just bum a ride with you and as they came up the punt road hill there was some sort of altercation a red light changing later yellow whatever it was where a car from Domain Road ended up blocking their path now Coxie and I think Tony Naylor sitting in the front seat with this hitchhiker in the back uh, said uh, Coxie leant out and said hey uh, get it out of the way mate and four guys got out of the car with those, uh, what do you call those hooks? Bailing hooks. <laughs> <laughs> and the they hands? suggested, yeah, ba- <laughs> bailing hooks in each hand. And they suggested that no, Coxie should back up his little Volkswagen Beetle and he should move out of their way. And anyway, this little chap in the back was leaning out of the window by this stage saying, no, you guys get out of it. 
and way, oh, well, no, like that. And Coxie just like, shut up, mate, shut up. <laughs> As the four guys approached, this chap also produced a firearm <gasps> and pointed it at them, and the sound of grappling hooks or bailing hooks <laughs> hitting the bitumen of Punt Road was deafening, and they ended up backing out of the way <laughs> with no further discussion. By which time they'd actually been through two cycles of lights. <laughs> So that's the Volkswagen Beetle and the Jeff Cox story. But we don't actually know who the uh, the unidentified stranger was. No, we don't. Mm. No. <laughs> that's uh, so. So that'd be great if Coxie can tell that story on uh, on Top Gear. Jo- except this is the other Coxie. Oh, uh, see, I'm confused already. Uh, Mid forties cartoonists and motoring columnists for the Daily Telegraph, uh, Warren Brown. Who uh, TV watchers would know from uh, TV watchers all about on our listeners are TV watchers. That's that's what the show is about. TV bread. So you, what you mean is insiders watchers would know from insiders. I can't remember what I said. You said you said TV watchers, and you know I'm just in the sort of mood where I'm just going to pick you up on every uh, every little thing. You say. Uh, so is Warren Brown regular on on uh, insiders Sorry. and the cartoonist from Difference of Opinion, and also had that uh, show on the ABC on Sunday nights, going from Beijing to Moscow or something in the old cars in the oh, old jalopies. Oh, he did too. Yeah. And that was most interesting. It was. It was, yes. it was quite oh, well, an engaging Okay, uh, unequivocally qualified to uh, be one of the hosts on SBS Top Gear. I did cringe every time I saw him up on up on his little podium on Difference of Opinion. Uh, but uh, that's another thing. And uh, thirdly, Steve Pizzati in his mid-30s, an advanced driving instructor, freelance motoring journalist and race driver for Porsche Australia. Well, so it, it seems like they've gotten people who know what they're talking about when, when it comes to cars. Yeah. Uh, one would hope that with that sort of uh, knowledge in front of the camera, behind the camera, they would also have a research and production team that would try to make the best show possible. Mm. Uh, I'm, you know what, I, I'm still I'm going to watch it. I, I'm, not, I'm not willing to write this one off. But you see, especially even, if they have a, a segment on turning an EH Holden into a stretch limo. Even looking at the real Top Gear, the classic ones that SBS uh, showed not too long ago, um, that wasn't as nice to look at as Which, the, and, the more recent Top and, Gears have been. And your theory on them showing these old episodes was that they were lowering our expectations <laughs> for Australian <laughs> Top absolutely, Gear. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, interestingly, SBS uh, then jumped back into repeats of what we'd seen of the more recent Top Gears. Uh, apparently, we've got first run ones starting tonight, Monday. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how old those ones are. Uh, in uh, in other news, in children news, mm-hmm. uh, the industry body charged with uh, fighting film and television piracy, uh, which is uh, you know what What's I don't the name even, of that? I don't even know, and it's not in this the AFACT, uh, which effect? Yeah, I have no idea. No idea what it is. They're only... Ref- oh, sorry, hang on. No. It's, it's you know, the, the something film and television something. Uh, <laughs> it's, Cops. It's ter- Oh, sorry. The Australian Federation Against Copyright Theft is the, uh, is, is the name of the organisation. They are uh, organising for school children to make their own films in a marketing push aimed at teaching that generation the importance of not infringing copyright. Uh, 
they would love to be pirated. Imagine, imagine if if you're an eight year old, you make a little film, and it's it's suddenly suddenly on BitTorrent, and people around the world are watching it. They would love that. That's I, I want to know. It, this is called marketing in this case, but it's really just propaganda. It, it, it's really just recruiting children to make propaganda mm, for mm, you. Mm, mm. And it, do- it doesn't uh, surprise me too much that a body such as A-Factor uh, uh, conducting uh, kind of questionable uh, methods after we saw a little short film that had the Veronicas and a number of other um, Australian music luminaries uh, all talking about anti-piracy who hadn't actually been told that that was what the short film was going to be about. Really? Yes. Really? Mm-hmm. The Veronicas don't write their songs anyway, do they? Such as, um, I think Tim Rogers was was one that was uh, manipulated yep. into doing this. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, apropos of this, a uh, couple of years ago on the Conversation Hour with Fane, his guest while I was there was a chap named Wayne Shorter, a legendary jazz saxophonist. Yeah, I'm big fan on. of big fan of Wayne Shorter. Okay, well, uh, Fane asked. Wayne Shorter about... Played uh, played with Miles Davis. Of course he did. And, you know, credentials coming out of his proverbial. And he was asked the question about um, internet and uh, his music ending up on the internet. And it was from this 83-year-old guy who said, man, the more people that hear my music, the better. That's the thing. And this is is the thing uh, 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 about this is, you know... You mentioned marketing. Yeah. That is marketing. You know, people people will hear it, and when they can afford it, they will go and buy it because they've proven that. Or they'll go and see him at gigs. Or they'll go and see him at gigs where he will get the money directly. You know, that's uh, and this is this is what it comes. And he down can to. sell his CDs at the gigs without having to worry about a record company. Yep. Meanwhile, uh, AFACT executive director Adrian Pector. Pe- Pecotich. Pectite, I think. It's no, the, it's uh, uh, pronounced. It's it's Pecotich said, uh, there's a whole generation of children who have migrated to piracy, but we believe ah. you can prevent the vast majority I, of people from behaving that way. Brett, I had when, a visa to piracy were... once, but I, I didn't actually go there. <laughs> when, you... <laughs> <laughs> when, you were in, when you were in primary school yeah. and somebody had, uh, had, had a tape of, uh, say, the latest Michael Jackson uh, so thriller came out in 1983. Mm-hmm. Someone had a tape of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and You get your little portable tape recorder and, and put one up against the other and hit play and hit record on the other one, and you'd have your own copy of it. Or you'd get one of those dual tape recorders. Later on. Later on, the, as the technology That had the up. dubbing function, yeah. and you'd record it, and then you'd pass that tape on to a friend. And this is how, this is how the, uh, you know, when it comes to music, this is how the violent femmes actually became popular in Australia. I didn't know anyone who had the original Violent Femmes album as an original album, but I knew heaps of people who had it on a pirated tape. The Violent Femmes, huge success in, in Australia, always had uh, had gigs sold out. The same can be said for, for, for television. It's That's the way these things get seen. They From a band, they became... A diaspora, is that correct? No? The Violent Femmes? Yeah. They're still together? But, but it became disseminated, yeah, yeah, as yeah. it were. It, it, it became disseminated. And they, and they had people hearing their music, which is how they got people to gigs. 
And the same can be said for television. This is not... I mean, it is it is piracy, and people understand that they are not doing the the absolute right thing. But at the same time, artists are getting their work seen. 1971 was the first time I ever had a cassette player, and I put it in front of the television when I came home from school for the Warner Brothers cartoon, The Three Little Bops. <gasps> oh, yes. Ah, oh, here's a story about the Three Little Pigs. Only had the audio, of course, but Stan Freeberg singing that and Shorty Rogers playing the trumpet solo when the wolf actually ends up down below and becomes real cool, you know. Yep. Sturdy places, house of bricks, built in 1776, high-class joint with a high-class sound, sign on the door, no wolves allowed. Was that Stan Freeberg? Stan Freeberg is that. Because Stan Freeberg is, is another one of these, you know, somebody had a tape of Stan Freeberg sketches, yep. Yep. and then everybody in my primary school had that tape of Stan Freeberg sketches. And, uh, and you know... I, Hilarious. I, I wouldn't have known who, who that was not. if somebody hadn't just passed a tape on it to me. It becomes part of the zeitgeist. Yes. It's, it's, it's an important part of artists getting their work known and, and getting themselves known. And it's always been that case. When I say always, I mean at least for the last 30 years. Uh, it, it's, it's a natural part of... Of what happens. Apart I mean, from breaking new artists, record companies will serve a lot less of this sort of uh, administrative capability in well, the future. They even, are reshaping now. Even then, if you look at the artists that they're breaking, they're all kind of boring cookie-cutter. Well, a lot of them are boring cookie-cutter uh, kind of artists right. that they, they'll... They only kind of intend to have one album while they're hot, and then then they don't really care well, about yeah, them. And, and this is this is the thing by by making kids make films about the evils of piracy or, or whatever it is. How are they actually going to teach this lesson? And it's because there's, there's not a lesson to learn. I, th- I think that's my point. One there thing is- you can learn, and if the, for the kids listening, if you if you're doing these uh, piracy or anti piracy movies, it's good to know. The pirate alphabet. <clears throat> A, B, C, D, <laughs> So, yeah, I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's just another case of AFACT just getting the whole thing wrong and they don't get the culture. And it's, it, it's, again, bodies who don't understand the way the world actually works and want to try to force it to, to work their way. And I think that it's interesting to, to think about an organisation like this that would be getting funded by the record companies, media production companies, um, why they are putting that much money into it and how much money they're actually kind of pulling out of uh, their artists. Yeah, um, yeah, this is all... If, this it's, is if all, it's worth that much to them. This is all money that should be going into A&R and is not. And- but on a positive sort of uh, spin for this if the kids are making movies that's fine you know it doesn't matter what you know i mean they'll certain they'll say okay so they one make uh, they make one anti-piracy movie and they go oh that's a bit boring that hasn't worked but we know where to point the camera now we've edited that up part of the uh, the educative process we're just just being involved just participating i think is really important so if i can just be you know ridiculously pollyanna about the whole thing uh you know that's that's a good thing Oh, well, an, 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 an unintentional good consequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, the fact that they'll, they'll suss it out soon enough and they'll say, oh, let's, uh, well, let's make some movies about uh, piracy. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, let's, uh, but you know what? I, I have no problems with these kids making these films yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, about piracy. 
as long as I can get a, a copy via torrent. <laughs> <laughs> Working Doug Productions uh, have been commissioned by the ABC to create a new six-part comedy drama series called The Hollow Men, based around an internal think tank set up by the Prime Minister whose responsibility is a long-term policy vision. Its uh, task is to stop worrying about tomorrow's headlines and worry about next week's. Wow, this sounds very much like a BBC radio show uh, that was Andy Zaltzman and uh, the the British guy who's on... uh, John Oliver. Andy Zaltzman, John Oliver, and uh, another comedian whose name I forget, uh, where they were part of a government think tank whose job it was to uh, take care of the poverty problem or take care of... Uh, the uh, the rising cost of uh, of food products, or take care of uh, the the you know every week they would have another uh, hot topic. A, another hot topic yeah. that they would have to take care of. This sounds so much like that. Would the working dog crew have the audacity to lampoon the twenty twenty conference? Uh, Oh, no, not anymore. Did they get invited? Maybe maybe it's all uh, bitterness that is <laughs> driving this. I don't know whether any As, of them were invited. I, Rob Sitch and Tom, you know, I mean, they've sort of... I, 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 just, I we, don't... We wouldn't know if Rob Sitch was there because he'd be your no photos. No, no photos. photos. No photos. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, don't think, I don't think they would anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. You know, I don't think they have that uh, freshness of, of thought that they, that they once did. They, they know very well how to uh, ride the zeitgeist and create a, uh, a a popular show that that will fly. Yeah, but yeah, sure do. I don't think they have the edginess that they once did. That's that's my take on them. Which was was my uh, primary criticism of the panel that uh, they've kind of turned into this this very comfortable middle class team. And uh, they're, they're a little out of touch with what they were in touch with back in the degeneration days. Which, which is also fair. I mean, as, as people get older and they, and they change and, no. you know, get older and richer, their, uh, their, uh, what they focus on changes and what is important to them changes. But uh, I hear something like this. I hear something that's, you know, it's meant to be funny and it's, it's, it's meant to be entertaining. Uh, and all I can think of is the dish. Which, which you was, weren't impressed by. Which was neither funny nor entertaining. The castle? Castle was great. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. castle was great. But the castle led to them making a lot of money. And then somehow after that, they just, they, they seem to, to lose it. But they have this great ability to, uh, to, to catch on to an idea. The Moldavia book, uh, again, you know, they, they, they know how to make money now. They know how to, how to catch on to that zeitgeist and, and, and exploit it. Not sure whether they are always setting out to make something that's either hilarious or um, razor sharp. Uh, a river somewhere, I've well, quite enjoyed that. It oh, was just mm. what... It's sort of like when they put their minds to something, it is what it is. Yes. And, uh, and you know, I, I remember... Uh, the the excellent documentary that Santo made when he uh, went on the uh, election bus uh, for the uh, for Keating's last election. Okay, I never uh, saw that. It was uh, it, it was great. He just he went on with a handicam, and this is uh, around the time when when they were doing the late show, and he had started getting behind the camera a lot more, and was uh, was shooting a lot more. 
then went on and uh, and did this uh, documentary, uh, which was fascinating and 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 really interesting. And Frontline was great, and uh, you know they they've done some some great stuff. Thank God you're here. Very successful. I'm just a little bit worried that uh, that this they're so lauded, and I I just don't know if it's necessarily going to be as good as uh, as it once was. Obviously, they do have the potential, and hopefully, you know, it's on the ABC. It's not the same kind of uh, commercial considerations that they have to make. They 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 certainly know where to point it. And uh, just uh, by the by, why? Why, for heaven's sake, did not, thank God you're here, work in the United States? Because the United... I think it was marketed wrongly in the United States. They were marketing it as an improvisation show. And it's not an improvisation show. It's a it's a partial improv show. And so, also, also, I think that America was more exposed to uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? And then Jim Carrey's, not Jim Carrey's, uh, Drew Carrey's uh, green screen show. So... It was kind of similar to what they'd seen okay. fairly recently. Okay, yeah. You mentioned Drew Carey. I mean, that's an excellent, excellent product, that, too. No. <laughs> oh, I reckon it <laughs> what, is. Whose line is it anyway? Yeah, I reckon it's great. I hate it. How? What? what uh, for what reason? I just think it's it's the... You, you've seen one, you've seen them all. And, uh, and plus, you know what? I spent a lot of time, a lot of my formative years... Uh, with the uh, with the comedy industry and seeing a lot of improvisational comedy, and I know all the tricks, so mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. It, it doesn't impress me it, anymore. I think that's a, that's a large part. Well, of it. I think there's a bit of magic about it, uh, in that sense that you know all the tricks, whereas I've never bothered to learn them, and I right. marvel at uh, the way that they come up with that stuff. You know, I mean, not everyone's a zinger, but there have been some wonderful moments. That I've seen, and by the way, Greg Proops, a regular guest on that show, hosted and Hey Hey at Saturday for two nights. Really? Yes, and it was uh, it was a really interesting a, choice that Daryl made because Daryl hadn't seen his act. He was in town for the comedy festival, and we saw his act. And I tell you, I mean, if Daryl had seen the act, oh, perhaps he would have not made the decision to let Greg host the show. But of course, Greg did host the show. He did a wonderful job of it, and very professional. I mean, no hint of a, impropriety. A great or work comedian, of, really, just super. You know, sort of one of my favourite people. Uh, you know, very quickly. But, uh, yeah, that's sort of by the by. That's a whose line is it anyway sort of thing. <clears throat> one, one more, Cropley? So that'll be on uh, in the Wednesday comedy lineup on ABC. Cool. Um, going into production in the next few weeks. Uh, Sam Newman's been kicked off the footy show. Good. Well, he has, he's, been, he's been removed the, temporarily the, for, like, six weeks. He's been benched. Really? Have you That's, heard six weeks? I I heard six weeks that he's just uh, that he was being given a, an extended an extended break, break because he had come back too soon after his surgery, and then he broke his no, ankle. No, but, but he's also attending counselling about his behaviour. Re supposedly, that's has. part of the condition I hear. And they're also uh, bringing in. in uh, uh, counsellors for the staff on the show generally. Um, oh, really? Anti discrimination training. Ah, that's uh, that's that's an episode of The Office, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. And lastly, uh, lastly in the news, the response to that, by the way, I'm reliably informed, was from the whole of the footy show. What? <laughs> <laughs> 
the, lastly in the news, uh, it, it had been uh, mooted and touted, and yes, it is true. Tory Spelling will join the Beverly Hills 90210 spin-off that... Uh, Called 90210. Yes, that, that will air on uh, on the CW. Uh, and Channel 10 here? She, uh, I she I read today. She told uh, people... Uh, probably Channel 10. Is that the Country Western Network? No. She told People.com that uh, her character Donna will have a career in fashion. Okay. Which is, uh, which is great. Uh, no word on uh, whether Donna will still be married to David, though. So, ooh, let's all just sit and wait and watch. I can't, I, I can't wait to I find can't out. Wait. No. Especially not after seeing Tori Spelling's uh, little... Uh, in Love. Was that what it's called? What it's called? It was, it was, where she had the uh, bed and breakfast. No, no, oh, it was kind of the the, the, the Paris Hilton esque uh, yeah, Tory yeah, yeah. spelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, ne- I never saw that. Uh, but that is the box cutters news. Hi, this is Jim Shembury from the Age newspaper. Just telling you all to listen to box cutters if it's the last thing you do. Josh, Brett, and Ross are the most informed, entertaining, funniest guys you'll ever hear over a pod. I still don't know what podcasting is. But apparently, if you go onto the ARPANET, you can you can get it. The ARPANET. Oh, the internet. I'm sorry. That was the old word for it. Yes. Box cutters. Listen up. It's great. And now, it's our delight, as it is every first week of the month, to bring to you via telephone, James Talia, our un-Australian correspondent. How are you, James? Good evening, gents. I'm well. How are you all going? Oh, very well. Now, you are you are on the uh, sunny shores of France. I am. I'm in northwest France, just outside of uh, Lille, and we've been here for the past week covering what's actually been a really special story for us. It's uh, the recovery of the lost diggers of Fromel. Uh, a lot of Australians aren't familiar with the Battle of Fromel, uh, largely because the officials at the time sought to cover up uh, what had gone on. It was July of 1916. It was Australia's first engagement on the Western Front after, after the disaster of Gallipoli. And uh, in just 24 hours, more than 2,000 Australians were killed in this battle. Now, to put that into perspective, that's more Australians killed in one day than were killed in the Boer War, the Korean War and the Vietnam War combined. Oh. <laughs> Right. So it was an absolute slaughter. The generals messed it up, as uh, they so so often did in World War One, and that was the result. The postscript is that of those more than 2,000, 170 made it across no man's land to the German lines, along with 230 British troops, and they were never seen again. It became known that the Germans uh, buried them in mass graves, uh, collected their identification, sent it back to Australia. No record was, was ever kept of where this burial site was, and because the battle was such a disaster and the generals and the government wanted to cover it up, uh, no one ever bothered to ask the question until six years ago when, would you believe, a school teacher from Melbourne and an amateur historian, Lambert Inglesos, thought, screw this, we have to find these guys. He went back through all the German military and Red Cross records from the time. He found aerial photos from before and after the battle of the area around Fromel, and through intense research, pinpointed an area that he thought was where this mass grave was. But then, of course, the effort started to try to convince the army and the government, and... 
this guy has just been pestering newsrooms, pestering MPs and ministers for years on end until finally it sort of gathered its own momentum to the point where last Monday they started doing an exploratory dig in the area that he had pinpointed and would you believe they have found these guys 92 years on and it's just been remarkable to be there and be witnessing it and to get there the next morning after after we had learned that they had found human remains and to see Lambus there looking at the site knowing that he was finally vindicated let me tell you not a dry eye in the house it was amazing that is See, that is truly a piece of Australian history that you're a part of, James. And I know that you know exactly how important that is. Uh, but do you think... Uh, how, how easy is it to translate that? I mean, you've just done it excellently for, for our podcast, but when you're reporting for news, how easy is it to translate the importance of that in a three-minute bulletin? Well, it's difficult. It's difficult. In, in, in fact, uh, most of the time our reports for news only run about a minute and a half. Uh, and that's why I guess we end up using uh, a, a lot of phrases that, that are or sound like cliches because you have to find a, a, a way to convey uh, the meaning and the emotion of it in, in as few words as possible. So repeated use of the phrase, the, the missing diggers of Fromel, um for example, is a good way to try to convey how important it is. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it's, it's difficult, which is why, um, uh, you know, a show like 60 Minutes, which has also been following this story for the past couple of years, they have the luxury of 5, 10, 15 minutes to explain it, and, uh, and they, they do a really good job of it. Because I, w- I would imagine that there is so much story to tell here there's not only the the story of the school teacher who who made this uh, amazing discovery but uh, also the the families the descendants of uh, of the diggers who were killed and, and and relatives of the diggers who were killed and what did they do to to try to find out what had happened to their relatives and uh, you know well, th- there are right. all these stories yeah. that come from it there are tangential stories all over the place um uh, I mean, for example, and this is very much a postscript. It's, it's not directly related to the to the story itself, but it is a remarkable little historical nugget on its own. On the German lines that night, young German, in fact Austrian soldier fighting for the German army, name of Adolf Hitler. Mm. Wow! If a stray Australian bullet had clipped him, how would that have changed the history of the world in the 20th century? Um, there, there is, there are stories upon stories upon stories uh, going off the, the 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 main yarn, if you like, and uh, it's very difficult to to know how to pick and choose because you just want to tell all of them. And sorry, Brett, and so so for you, James, were you there, kind of covering the initial dig, and and now you're following up those other stories, or are you still um, looking uh, at the dig? Been... And and because I've I've heard that uh, there's there's an issue with unexploded bombs. Uh, in the area that they're digging? Yeah, there could be. There, there were eight pits dug. Five of those were suspected to be burial pits and they were covered over immediately after the battle. The other three were used for the next couple of years by the Germans just sort of tossing in um, uh, unused military equipment and, and, and there was, well, and is, some concern that they would find unexploded ordnance in those pits and they would have to tread very carefully, which obviously they are. Um, but... Uh, no, we've we've really just been covering the gig, and I've been trying to find find other avenues for 
getting some of that other information out uh, across us to the Today Show have been very good. I've written a nine MSN piece, gotten a lot of stuff off my chest. Um, it's nice to have those kind of outlets, but no, the news primarily, it's just the progress of the dig. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and the dig being as important as it is for, for Australian history, no doubt it is a media circus much like the uh, mines in Tasmania were. It was to start with. Um, for the first couple of days, everyone was there except Channel 7. Good on them. Thanks for coming. <laughs> they were too busy uh, trying to get shots of their reporter at the airport. <laughs> That's right, exactly, for their weekend promo. Yes, yes we know how to get to Tullamarine. Good on you. <laughs> um, I was surprised they didn't turn up. We have made the running on this story. I'm proud to say for the past couple of years and I have to say it's, it started with a story that Ray Martin did for 60 Minutes a couple of years ago if you can still find it online it's it's really quite moving um, and, uh, and and it's kind of we like to think that we've had ownership of the story since then um, Seven dabbled with it when they were over here leading up to Anzac Day but they haven't bothered to come back here for the dig which was a, a bit disappointing actually I'm prepared to be magnanimous in this case and say that it would have been nice to see as many networks here as possible uh, it was a circus for the first couple of days, and then it kind of gradually dropped away. But we're still here, waiting to see what happens next. And that, no doubt, is uh, you know should should just speak volumes to networks who have pulled out uh, European correspondents and, and European bureaus, uh, where they used to always have uh, coverage, and now they don't. Well, that, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I, well, we like to think so. You know, I don't, I don't want to gloat too much. You know, no, I don't but, want to jinx, but jinx anything. But this look, is a story the that they is, can't they can't get footage from from BBC. They they can't get the CNN footage because those countries don't have a vested interest in it. So they're not going to to put the money in to send someone over there. Well, that's right. Which means that they end up having to hire a camera and a cameraman to, to go there and shoot whatever. But that cameraman is just on a day rate, not invested in the story the way the, the way you are when you're an, an Australian reporter on the ground talking to the Australians who are there, and, and you're the one that has to write the story. Maybe in the end it doesn't matter. Maybe it's the kind of thing that we pay too much attention to. Viewers don't even notice. Uh, I, I don't know, but I, I, I like to think that that our reports have been more comprehensive just from having someone on the ground there. Now, you, you mentioned that Ray Martin did a story uh, on this uh, on 60 Minutes two years ago and that it was yeah. a, a good story. What? And, and Ray, I mean, that, that would have been one of the few times in recent years that uh, Ray really uh, pulled out the stops and, uh, and, and reported the way he used to report. Uh, do you think that there's a... a you know, there is a, a kind of slackening of, of the old guard in, in, in some respects and, and new people don't necessarily take on that mantle? No, I don't. I, I think styles change over the decades. Um, Ray had his own personal, or has his own personal particular style, which I guess evolved while he was working for the ABC and then flourished when he was working for 60 Minutes the first time around in the, uh, in the 80s, from the late 70s. Um, I think there are still plenty of people around who, who can really pull out all the stops like that. I mean, if you look at it, you know, Peter Harvey's still going. Well, that's going true. Going like a train. He's, he's magnificent, Harves. Um, there are there are plenty of people around. I'm, I'm even willing to, to to name a Channel Seven reporter who who I think does a fantastic job, and that is Reason, someone who always delivers a yarn with great authority, uh, great empathy when it's called for, um, 
Uh, no, I, I think there are still plenty of good practitioners around. They're just perhaps not quite the names that Ray is. Yep. Well, that 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 makes sense. Uh, yeah. James, James, is somebody shooting a documentary on this? Um, I know that 60 Minutes have got a, got a lot of footage. Um, France 3 uh, is shooting a documentary on it, actually. France 3, I don't know when it's going to air or what they intend to do with it, but certainly um, there have been crews around following it all the whole way along, which is good. Because I'd like to think that uh, somewhere there's going to be tapes kept so that, uh, that it can not only be aired as a documentary, but it's, it's been literally documented to, to even if it just sits on a shelf for however many decades, but that's so it's available to people. I think the hallmarks of a good story are a beginning, a middle and a recognisable end. This one's got them all. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of, yeah, you, you, you're exactly right. Actually, it was it was almost as though when the word came through that they had found human remains there, uh, it was almost no surprise because that's what the story required. It needed the happy ending, <laughs> and it and it got it. Well, when I say happy, I mean obviously we're talking about a mass grave, but you know what I mean. Um, Certainly, it, it has uh, it has everything you could possibly want. This story. And and it's also got, you know, an element of government conspiracy, which we, we love in a story as well. The the cover yeah, up right. is the cover up is almost as, as huge as the discovery. Yeah, that's it. The cover up the cover up was a disgrace and it was both the Australian and British armies and, and governments to the point where and, and and this is astounding. It was it was censored at the time in the press. Um and uh, uh, so few Australians knew about it, and it was it was so not recognised as a battle that the name Fromell does not appear anywhere at the Shrine of Remembrance in Melbourne, at the memorial at Hyde Park in Sydney, and at the Australian memorial at Villers Bretonneux, which is the, the the Australian memorial for the entire Western Front. All the battles, the name Fromell is nowhere. Absolutely. Which is quite extraordinary. It is. I was going to say absolutely extraordinary. Uh, name names. Who were the generals involved? <laughs> Actually, off the top of my head, I can't tell you. You've it called was, me out. I'm... It was Monash and Blaney, I reckon, would have had something to do with it. All imposters. Well, well it, it wasn't Monash. <laughs> it, it wasn't Monash, oh, that's right. for sure. Um, I just don't it, like the freeway named after him. That's, I'm sorry, there's nothing... <laughs> I don't, I don't, the, I don't the like man the, built. the concrete jungle that is the university named after him either, but, <laughs> but he's the actually man... a monarch mon- hero of the First World War. He was the, the, the one general who came in and cleaned everything up that, that all the others had messed up. And then, and then designed and built the, uh, the, uh, the, the memorial in Melbourne. Is that right? Yes, yes, that's the, the way I understand it. Uh, oh, is that, uh, that after he came back, he uh, he designed and, and built that, and and that's uh, one of the reasons that you can see it from uh, pretty much every angle when you go around the city. Absolutely, it's a it's a fantastic memorial. Oh, you, you you're breaking up a little bit there, James. Can you uh, wiggle around a bit? Hello. Can yeah, you hear that's, me now? yeah, that's great. Excellent. That's Excellent. great. I'll now. Uh, Cropley is uh, a little bit. He's he's not he's not pounced in his usual position. He's he's really? just yeah he's just got his his hand kind of just ready to to snatch at something so so I wonder what he's got in his mind. Actually, I I don't have any uh, bad Channel Nine stuff, but uh, James, how did you react when uh, you got the word that you hadn't picked up one of those positions uh, presenting Australian Top Gear? <laughs> 
devastated. Absolutely <laughs> devastated. In some ways, though, if it, it, it was good, it, it, it sort of uh, resolved a dilemma before it arose because I wasn't sure if I was going to be Captain Slow or the short bloke. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'd, you'd think with a name like Talia, uh, you'd be in with a, with a better shot than anyone else. A fighting chance at yeah. SBS, yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Maybe they fired Carl Stefanovic. <laughs> what, have you heard uh, who's got the job? No, I haven't. Uh, has it, has it uh, come to light at your end? It has. Uh, motorsport commentator Charlie Cox, who uh, I hadn't been aware of previously. Cartoonist Warren Brown, uh, who we've seen on Insiders and uh, yes. Difference of Opinion. And uh, driving instructor and uh, I, I think he was a Porsche Australia race car driver, Steve Pizzati. Well, there you go. Uh, Warren Brown I've heard of. The other two I haven't. Um, that's, but that, that's good. But beaten out of the final casting narrowly were Renee Geyer and Angry Anderson there, James. I don't know where <laughs> they were they were up for you know. it's, well, they they um they couldn't they couldn't give the gig to Angry because uh, then there'd be real concerns that he might make allegations of one of his co hosts shagging troops. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, but you just can't have that. No, you can't have that. Oh, those SAS boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, who dares wins? <laughs> <laughs> and that, strangely enough, was the show on which she was a co-host. Indeed, indeed. And also the motto of, of our SAS. Of the yes, coincidence. See, <clears throat> it, they're so embroiled. How, that's how he made the mistake. That must be where he got himself confused. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he, you know, he, uh, he he saw Pudez wins on one of the uh, SAS sleeping bags, and uh, <laughs> and thought it was just like a calling card or something. That's that's yeah. fair enough. That can happen. Yeah, maybe, maybe she has a, a small tattoo somewhere that says Pudez wins, just sort of as a, as a reminder of of the show she was on in the past, and and he interpreted that the wrong way. Ah, that's a, that's also, you know, this is the thing about Angry Anderson; he just misinterprets things all the time. It's a problem. It's he's, a problem. What are you going to do? Yeah, you know, he's he's still a bad boy for love, but he's he's not very much for comprehension. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> now, and that's where we should leave it. <laughs> now, James, uh, Channel 7 uh, scooped the Australian Cinematogra- Cinematographers Society's awards for news gathering. Uh, is that right? Yes. I, uh, I hadn't seen the results there. I did see that uh, Dean Semler had made an appearance at the, at the award ceremony, which is good, but I hadn't seen the outcome. Um, well, uh, well Wayne, Wayne Sukada was uh, given the golden tripod for single-camera news gathering for his uh, coverage of the Garuda air crash. Uh, and well-deserved. Well-deserved. There is an element of being in the right place at the right time, of course. But yes. if the right place at the right time happens to be surviving an air crash with a broken leg only to go on and get yourself off the plane and shoot it have all the awards they possibly see fit to give you. Well, this and, and this this reminds me of a... I, I watched a kind of documentary kind of dramatisation of the last three days of the Jonestown Massacre on Discovery Channel last night. And fascinating. Uh, it, it was really, really fascinating. Not, not the least of which was... OK, they had a, an NBC... Uh, news reporter there, an NBC cameraman, and a uh, a, a reporter from the San Francisco Chronicle, and a, a photographer from the San Francisco Chronicle, and this Garuda story is is it, it kind of it reminds me of that because 
there was the, uh, the the assault at the airstrip where the congressman was killed, the NBC reporter and the cameraman were killed, the photographer was killed, but the San Francisco Chronicle reporter managed to escape. After the assailants had left the airstrip, goes back to the airstrip, picks up the dead photographer's camera and starts yeah. taking photos of the scene for reporting purposes. That's amazing. And, That's uh, amazing. You know, this is, I think this is what I, I sometimes lament is uh, the, the commitment to, to news. And, and yes, uh, Sudoku definitely, uh, what did I just call him? Sudoku. Sakuda. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Wayne. Sakuda definitely shows that kind of, uh, that kind of attention and, uh, and commitment, which I think is fantastic. Uh, yeah, also- I have to say though that I think most of the most of the cameramen and, and snappers I know working in Australian news organisations would do the same. Uh, also, Seven News in Adelaide picked up three awards for for which story? Uh, one was uh, one was about uh, the. Uh, Oh, sorry, one was for multi-camera news gathering, so it was one award for two people uh, for the uh, aftermath of a drowning of a child in uh, the River Torrens. Oh, that was horrific, that yeah, story, yeah. That, uh, and the other one was for a, a story on growing and trafficking drugs from Afghanistan for uh, Rob Brown. Rob Brown. Rob Brown is Seven's go-to cameraman. He... Um He's, he's a, a marvel. He's been around for years. Uh, likes living in Adelaide. Has a, has a nice house in the Adelaide Hills and insists on staying there, which means that uh, if they really want to use him, and they always really do, they have to wait for him to get from Adelaide to Sydney as fast as he can before they uh, hit a plane to go somewhere else. Um, he's He's been their most senior uh, foreign guy for a lot of years and does a fantastic job. And I think this is something that uh, when we're watching the news, we, we don't really pay much attention to because we're trying to take in the story and we're try- trying to, to understand what's happening and, and get that information so that we can talk about it at work the next day. Uh, and, and and I think for, for a lot of us, the, the camera work uh, just doesn't get as much attention as it does, say, in a, in a movie or in a, or in a television drama or, or something like that because... We just expect it to tell us the story so so much that that's right. Well, you, you could say it's it, it's like a good football umpire. If you if you get to the end of the match and you haven't noticed the umpiring, then the umpire's done a bloody good job. Um, kind of the same with with uh, pictures for TV news stories. Um, if it's unobtrusive and it just uh, assists with the narrative, then the cameraman's done a bloody good job too. If he's made a mess of it. <laughs> that's the only time you'll notice it um, and obviously you don't want to have to notice it in those circumstances I, I was reminded the other day from being in France, it's interesting that in France and Italy and a couple of other countries on the continent uh, at the end of each story they throw up a super that has the reporter's name and the cameraman's name and the editor's name so there's, there's a credit for each individual story for everyone who's been involved Wow, that's, uh, that's entirely fair well, I, I would have thought so, yeah. Well, this is... Yeah. You know, 60 Minutes d- does this in, in a way where they always have the producer's name uh, on the credit of the of the story as well. Yeah, they do. Uh, they do, which is, which is good, but not, not the shooter. Not the shooter well, and not the say, editor. In, in, some, in some circumstances, if you've got a cameraman who's lazy and doesn't want to do anything, he's being a pain in the ass, and his name doesn't appear at the end of the story, it's very handy to just be able to say to him, mate, whose bloody name's going to be on this story at the end of the day? <laughs> Pick your game, will you? 
<laughs> that, that is very useful. They give you the details on foreign correspondent. Do they? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's good. That's good. Maybe we should do more of that. I think. I think. I think we should. I mean, it's it's just like uh, you know, I, I've always been so impressed with the UK uh, with their television shows. The written by credit is the last credit. At the end, at the end of the credits, like the, it's where the director's credit goes in a movie. Uh, yes. The ABC, st- sorry, the, the BBC, and uh, and I think Channel Four as well. They still treat television like you would a play, where it's written by this person, and that's the important part of it. You had the same thing yeah. in the Sopranos, because because uh, week to week the the writer and director would generally change. Yeah, but you would have writer and then director on Sopranos. Uh, you would always have okay. director last uh, in America. In Australia, it just gets hidden somewhere. Uh, but <laughs> but in the UK, it, it is always the, the writer last and uh, and a title card all on its own and uh, and and very important. I think that's it's an important part of who makes the television. And anyone who's ever seen a news cameraman actually work, the idea that they. They know exactly what to shoot, where to get the coverage, how to get the cutaways, while the story is still going on, and mm. they, they they make sure that they get everything. That's I, I, you know, I think it's a it, it's an art that I think we don't appreciate enough. Nine did get an award for the Canberra fires. Um, help me out here, James. Was it Damien, the cameraman there? Um, the, the, the Canberra fires from a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, a couple of years ago when he was in the it car. Was, uh, it was just ex- yeah. oh, just in, incredible footage. It was in, It's extraordinary stuff. If you see the camera tape, and I have, I have seen the whole lot, the fellow's name is Richard Moran. Thank you. Um, he uh, he was working in our Canberra Bureau at the time, shooting politics. But R- Richie's an unbelievable story. He's he's from Shepparton in Victoria originally, and uh, and married young there as a lad. I think he was only eighteen or nineteen. Had a couple of kids. Was working for the uh, the, the local TV station there. I think it was uh, GMV8 back in the day, and uh, later became part of Wind Television, and uh, was. Uh, uh, a regional cameraman, and it, it seemed that's where he was going to spend his career. Once his kids grew up a bit, he decided he was going to have a crack at the big time, and ended up with a job in our Canberra bureau. Um, and uh, and and somehow, again, in the right place at the right time, managed to get himself in the fire chief's car, going through the bushfires. It is extraordinary stuff. Um, and Richie is now in our LA bureau. Uh, has been for the past four or five years. He's a great man, a great shooter, and in that category of, of guys who I think, um, to, to sum them up, uh, the best cameramen are as much producers as they are shooters, mm-hmm. and Richie's certainly in that category. Well, James, you've enlightened us once again, and uh, and good luck with that story, mate. That It is such a good story that you're reporting yeah. on from, from France. I just... <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm hoping that, that in the next few days we're going to have some more specifics that they've been able to locate artefacts that, that can distinguish between the Australian and, and British remains and then perhaps they can start thinking about identifying individuals and giving these men their own graves. We'll see what happens. That'd be a great outcome. And also, James, just as a personal favour to me, find out who the generals were. We want some names, please. <clears throat> I will. I'll be... <laughs> I'll be sure to put them. Uh, I'll be sure to put them on the on the blog page. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, James. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. 
Are you one of those that follows the ads? Follows, 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 follows the ads? Now I can talk as much as I want. Got the sly look, sly look, sly look. Hello, 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 hello. hello this is Ricardo Montalban. Get me a jury and show me how you can say in July and I'll go down on you. Brett Cropley, what don't you buy? I don't buy, and I really like him, but Frank Woodley. Yes! Yes, 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 The yes. camera moves into a church where a, a minister is uh, is conducting a wedding. And uh, in holy matrimony, speak now or forever hold their peace. And you have the silence. And then suddenly Frank pops up on a pew saying, well, actually... And then launches into song about the buses go all the places that you want them to. It's like you're controlling them with your mind. There are better connections to trams and trains, so you're going to make it there on time. And then silence, bit of a flower girl raising an eyebrow. And uh, then him hanging out of a bus saying, uh, it's highly re- I highly recommend that you get on the bus. These ads are ridiculous. They are. Have you have you seen these? Wilbur? I'm afraid not. But Cropley has just painted a very vivid picture. It, it really is a very accurate description. And, and the thing is, Frank is a very funny man mm. who is a, a, one of the great physical comedians we we have at the moment, uh, and uh, very talented. And this just seems like, you know what? There were. In Melbourne, this is a Melbourne ad, obviously. Uh, I, I don't know if it's... Uh, so, it's an ad for MetLink, uh, the public the, transport the, in Melbourne. But the, yep. but the buses in general, which which were outsourced long before uh, the trains and, and trams were, uh, and have their own independent uh, operators and yeah, what have you. It's all been propped up, national buses. Uh, and- but also in Melbourne, we had uh, ads for trams. Uh, these were... were uh, not billboard, but uh, bus shelter ads for, for trams with Hamish and Andy, who have probably the most popular uh, radio show on uh, in, in Australia at the moment. Undoubtedly, yeah. Absolutely, and, by uh, like seven points. And, uh, and, and are both very funny people. Uh, and these ads were terrible. They were not funny, but they obviously had someone attempt to write a joke in there. So it was just a photo of Hamish and Andy with speech bubbles. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it was something like uh, Hamish saying, uh, I've got two words for you, uh, cheap and reliable. And Andy saying, um, that's three words, Hamish. That's, you know, it, that was the joke. Well, absolutely terrible. And this Frank Woodley thing reminds me of that. It's it's like he's such a funny and talented guy. Yeah. Why don't they get him to do something rather than just, you know, flailing his arms and, and singing Can a dumb song? Can we blame Frank Woodley for bad creative? Uh, no, no, no. We can blame him for saying yes to something that's completely... You've got to get your agent to fire across the creative to you before you have a look at any of this stuff. You know, you've got to get it all up front. Well, and I think he's part of an extended campaign. There's there's another one where he's in a delivery ward uh, where the woman's really just had a baby and, and he says something that's apropos of nothing once again, talking about buses. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's extraordinary. Tonight I saw but, Max but I'm Walker. Also, he's, he's getting a lot of money for it. Yeah, well, uh, well, it's a two million dollar campaign, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Across all media. Yeah, saw Max Walker doing the Apia ads tonight. Bugger him! I had that campaign. Oh, that was yours. Yeah, no, it was how, mine. How was that? That was uh, that was one of the the most entertaining panel shows I've ever seen, Wilbur. 
the uh, the Understanding Fifties panel uh, panel look, show. It was, we could have made a whole show out of that. It was better than the catch up, which it was on at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were mercifully short. <laughs> <laughs> who else? Who else was on? Because that uh, the, like my uh, lot. Uh, the uh, the the actual ads have, uh, have have featured in uh, in I don't buy it before. Yeah, um, Jane Scarley, Paul Martell, her husband, um, Rebecca Gilling, uh, Kim Hughes. Australian test captain. Oh, oh. Another scalp. I got to shake hands with an Australian test captain, and yet that doesn't, come, you know, that opportunity doesn't arise all the time. The, and the, the controversial Kim Hughes, who uh, who was part of the Rebel Australian team. That's right. Yeah, and I know he's good. He was good, Hughesy. But Max is now doing the APR ads. Oh, I know. Um, but uh, but the thing about the advertisements or contracts that are offered to you every now and then. Uh, well, just things, things that are offered to you, TV shows, you know, I mean, you know, hole in the wall and stuff like that. I mean, you've got to, you just got to sort of weigh it up whether you want to do this stuff, you know, or suggest perhaps a better way that uh, you can make it um, more dignified or, if possible, and, and just better creative. I mean, a good, uh, case in point, Red Simons with the Thrifty Link commercials that he started ages ago for the hardware mm. stores. I mean, he's been doing that for five or six years, I think, now. And the first brief, the first creative brief, was nothing like what happened on the day. I mean, Red said, I don't want to speak. And he didn't speak for the first couple of seasons. He made gestures. He made... uh, He had signs that he was holding up. Held signs that he was... uh, And uh, he also made facial um, gestures as well. It worked just fine, and yeah. in fact, when I can't remember what the original creative was, but there was a compromise reached, which actually highlighted it. It, it utilised his uh, his talent a lot better, you know. So there's that sort of thing where you know you you've got to be able to sort of say, well, look, you know, if I'm, you know, and I mean, Frank, you know, decision or whatever it is, I mean, it's it's going to be working well for him. But um, um, yeah. With the, with Max Walker and the uh, and the Apia <laughs> Apia ads, and, and, is it, is it, Max is it a, is, that is it I've a, just remembered that I have uh, seen it? Uh, <laughs> was I talking? Which, which kind of goes into flashback, but I didn't know that it was an Apia ad. But go on, Josh. Uh, so d- does he say you know if you're over fifty, get yourself health insurance and have a good weekend? Is is that? <laughs> No, it's because it's, it's, if 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 I see an ad with Max Walker and he's not saying "Have a good weekend," if there isn't a a, a little boy calling him Mister Walker, <laughs> I I just I hold up my hands. Yeah. That's it. That's no. no that's it. I, no, they've actually gone. They've actually. It's a. It's actually quite a tidy little campaign because it it features Max, his life, and uh, uh, little vignettes therefrom, and it, it you know, and, and it's something to do with a car, or it's something to do with your health, or it, uh, whatever it is. No, it's you know, for over fifties, and this is another thing which is um, I hope becoming more prevalent for that market. It's just better not to throw things. Down people's throats. I mean, it's 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 best not to be try hard. Conversational stuff can work. I mean, you select your conversation. You select the actual point you're trying to make. Good advertising is good advertising, and bad advertising, there's nothing worse. Well, and this and this is the thing. As as much as uh, as we a fair way off from uh, from being able to to take out Australian pensions insurance. Uh, as much as uh, we mock those ads. Obviously, there is something about them that is working because the, uh, the, they've maintained that style over, over this time. I don't think the same thing's going to happen with these bus ads. 
I don't think we're gonna we're gonna see them adding for night. Who are they aiming at? Are they what's their demographic? I mean, these are Public things. Transport are, users. Well, okay, but so uh, ostensibly a very broad cross section. You know, I mean, we're talking we're talking uh, eighteen to seventy year olds. So well, ten to seventy year olds. Ten to seventy year olds. Um, okay, and and you know, buses have had a bad rap. I don't particularly trust buses because there's no rails that you can see where they're going to go and they always go through the back streets and you, know, you never really know where they're going to come um, unless you're talking about a big one like the 246 which goes all the way up Hunt Road. There's also, there's also the, the, the case of uh, buses not... Uh, there aren't timetables where you catch them necessarily. And if there are timetables, they're running on their own timetable anyway. You've got no idea where, where they're coming from. Plus, and I catch the bus every now and then because there's a bus that leaves from outside my house and takes me uh, pretty much right to work, which is great and lazy for me if I don't feel like walking. Uh, it is only the, three doors up the road. It's, yeah. Uh, but still, you know, whatever. Are uh, they going to discuss the bus ads on the Gruen transfer? Ah, uh, well, why don't we talk about that? Hi, I'm Ryan Shelton, Box Cutters' favourite ever guest, and uh, I've really enjoyed myself on Box Cutters, so listen as much as you can, because um, I'll be having it on a loop on my iPod. Yes, Wilbur, th- thank, you for the, uh, th- thank you for the segue. The Gruen transfer did start last week on the ABC. This, is, of course, is the new production from Zapruder's other films, mm-hmm. uh, which Andrew is Denton's Andrew Denton's production company, company and uh, hosted by Will Anderson, who we haven't seen on television since uh, The Glass House ended. Uh, unceremoniously, uh, you know, aside from galas and and what yeah. have you, yeah. uh, and uh, and it is all about advertising. Interestingly enough, on the ABC, it's a chance for the ABC to show Ads. commercials without getting paid for them. Yeah, thin end of the wedge. You think? No. <laughs> no, no, but they've definitely been playing up about uh, having commercials on the ABC. It was interesting um, how they did it. They they did something that they, they also did with Summer Heights High, um, coming out of Spicks and Specs. They didn't have any promos, no, nothing yep. in between. They they had the, uh, the, the advisory on the rating and then straight into it. Um, and it, it uh, worked out pretty well. I think they had 1.29 mil, yeah, which so was the strongest, like the strongest premiere of any Australian show on the ABC. Which is great. I think I think people were really interested to see uh, what this what this show that you, you know there there are friends of of friends. There are fans of Will Anderson. There are fans of Andrew Denton. They know that they've both been involved in this show, and they know that it's a, about a topic that we don't really see discussed much on television. So uh, I think there are a lot of people interested tuning in regardless. Add to that the follow-on audience from Speaks and Specs. You're going to get a huge, huge number. What did you think of the show, Brett? Um, I, I didn't find it particularly strong. It, it, it's, Bear and, in mind. And kind of just thinking about episode. it now, it, it may be a case of it's neither fish nor fowl. So, so they want to have fairly kind of serious conversations about how uh, advertising is is undertaken and, and kind of the tricks and, and that sort of stuff that they use. But they also want to have a comedy. And this is, this is where I thought it, it fell down because there were some great insights on that show. But then there was also – and there was one guy in particular, one ad man in particular. One who, of the panel? One of the panel yep. who would bring everything down to a, a – bum poo dick joke and i just thought well that's that's not what 
that's not what we were led to believe the show was going to be about. That the show was going to actually look at how advertising, how advertising works. And I, I was a little bit disappointed that I didn't get that level of information out of it. That I didn't get this in-depth look. I thought it was going to be like, uh, what was the, the Denton sports show, Live and Kicking? Yep. Uh, I thought it was going to be like that, where, where you had uh, experts talking about the topic uh, in an entertaining but very informative way, and I just didn't get that. But again, first episode, so who knows what it's what it's going to turn into. True, and they were just shooting episode five just before it went to air, before the first episode went to air. Right. So, so yeah, so not, they're, they're like a month ahead. Yeah, not far behind, and. Wilbur, did you did you see it? Grew transfer a smattering. Uh, I find Will Anderson's presentation style uh, just a little bit overpowering. I think for somebody in that situation of hosting the two ad guys, and I think it should be a more moderating style. Um, sure, have an opinion every now and then, but just. Yeah, once again, first episode, they're setting out to prove uh, whatever they're trying to prove, maybe finding a level. You know, you, really, a show like that has to find its own level mm. where it becomes conversational yet pacey, where they'll deal, hopefully, with, you know, half a dozen different ads. And I'm talking high-quality advertising, or certainly, the you know, maybe something that doesn't work because of a reason, you know. But have an example. Advertising is... <clears throat> Well, you know, I've been involved in quite a bit of it over the years. Um, just the creative process that leads to that. Uh, one of my collaborators, um, I loved his attitude. Uh, we were doing some work for Burnett's back in the early 80s. And this bloke, Ron Palmer, he's no longer with us. But he had a couple of Cleos up his sleeve, had worked in the United States and had worked in London. And his portfolio was really significant. A funny guy, master of the one-liner, and we did a couple of things here and we pitched a few things. Uh, get out, get up, get out, get over to Sports Girl, the 10% of everything sale. What's in store for you? We got coats and hats and dresses. What? Store for you? Get up, get out, get over to Sports Girl, the 10% of everything sale. Ron had just come up with this stuff out of the blue. And I mean, working with him, somebody who was so prolifically creative, uh, was a real eye-opener to me, and he, just the pitch, just the way that he could get to the nub of uh, a product, the nub of the branding. Branding is king, mm. the, you know, and these are the things that, uh, you know, I've sort of really been interested in in advertising. Well, and, and there are, uh, you know, there are opportunities for people like Graham Bond to uh, come yeah. and, be, and be part of the, the panel, sure. you know, who, who has had such a great history with television, but also with advertising. With Rory O'Donoghue. Yeah. Uh, it's- I, I, I found it a bit grating that they went to such pains to explicitly say where everybody was from. It was, it was almost like it was an ad for advertising agencies. Yeah, okay. Probably just in a bid to add credibility to the guys, I suppose. You know, a little bit of a uh, a bio, as it were. Bondi, seeing you've mentioned it, tells a great story about a particular ad that he and Rory were uh, writing the music for. 
And, of course, the curse of the jingle writer is having the client in the studio. Mm. They'd done the final mix on this thing and were playing it for the client at against their better judgment. <clears throat> and they played the, the tune to him, 30, you know, 29.5 seconds, right on the knocker, and this orchestration, uh, Roy O'Donoghue, very talented and... and, and worldly musician and great track and they were both really happy they slaved over for hours and things like they were both really happy with it they played the track and the client just said yep okay now where it goes along along up up along <laughs> down along could you make it <clears throat> up 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 <laughs> down along along and if it got some no can't do it like that Bondi in his rough style no, we're not doing it like that. And the client said, well, it just still doesn't say Tampax to me. <laughs> That's great. You know, stories like that would be, uh, you know, I don't want to tell people how to do their job, but they're the sorts of things that I, I would want from a show about advertising. I'd want to look at uh, the history. I, I'd want to I'd want to know about the Suzanne ads uh, when... Uh, you know, the, the people who came yeah, up with this the, goes with that, this goes goes with with that this. jingle. Exactly. That was released on green vinyl oh, at yeah. Suzanne's stores. And this is this is where my shout out goes. If anyone has a copy of the green vinyl, this goes with that Suzanne's song, can you please let me know? I, w- I would love to get a, a copy of, of that. So... That's uh, that's that's my shout out. It, I don't know anyone who's got any left because they 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 were paper thin and uh, and and bent really easily and uh, melted really easily and uh, there would be very as, few of them. Inserts in magazines, little yeah, vinyl. Oh, it's but, fantastic. Well, not vinyl, just plastic. So there's uh, there's you know th- there there are great stories to come out of the uh, the Australian advertising industry, of and I'm there really are. looking forward to where the Gruen transfer is going to go. Yes, and- exactly. And, I mean, you get people on the show like Teddy Horton, who did all of the Holden ads. He came up with that campaign, I love it, for the Holden ads. Now, yep. you know, just, just beautiful branding and beautifully shot and then and, and, a, and a great tag. All of the information about your current model Commodore and why you should buy it and the guy who's bought it said, I love it. Everything that we've been making fun about uh, Australian Top Gear about... Uh, where you know we just go well. What do we have in Australia? We've got the we've got the Corolla and we've got the EH and uh, and, and uh, we've got imported Korean cars. Uh, <laughs> you, you know we, we make those. Just we have such a great history of advertising. Of course we do. That uh, th- there are wonderful opportunities with this with this show. I I'm going to give it a, a few more weeks because I, I mm. found it I found it quite watchable. Yeah, I didn't uh, find it offensive at all. But it was um, a, a lot less so than Catherine Tate. It was a it was a little bit uh, it, it was a little bit static though, and I, I think that will come. You know, if we think back to the first episode of the Glass House, and uh, and how static that was, I think these shows take a while to to find their feet and move it. The first episode of Spicks and Specs was not the show that we see now. It, you know, they they just weren't as comfortable it's terrific with each other. That the ABC will actually run this, and it gets a time to develop its own soul. Yes. So that's uh, the Gruen How transfer. Is it for? Six weeks. I think six weeks. It's the. Uh, <laughs> it's only six. Well, most of them seem to be running that long. It's the oh. uh, the Gruen transfer is on the uh, on ABC One Wednesday night. Wednesday nights at nine o'clock. Yes, nine o'clock. Just after Spicks and Specs. Right. Yep. Good luck to them. Okay. Question three. 
Which Gareth, canal? Are all these going to be about war? No, I got loads of. I got one on tennis. One on the Suez Canal. Loads. Okay, question three. Which canal links the Mediterranean with the Red Sea? Ah, the quiz again. That'd be a Josh Canal. No. See, see, that's a funny one, Brett. That's a funny one. That's all of yours. Terrible. I know how often Wild you, comes I, in. I know how often you actually get that. So yeah, I, I do get. I do <laughs> Sorry, get it I, a lot. I, it just. I'm, I'm only a guest. Uh, yeah, I was like, are you the new one or the far one? Uh, the. Uh, so no letters to box cutters again this week. Uh, but it's, next it's week it's been bumped again. It's been bumped again. <laughs> Uh, you know, th- thanks to Matt Damon. It's like uh, Tony uh, Curtis on Letterman it's, ten yeah. years ago. Yeah, uh, his dad's and friends. <laughs> what, how great! Uh, anyway, the quiz. Did he die? Tony. Oh no, Tony Curtis. You said Tony Curtis, and I was thinking uh, about um, yeah, Oscar. Uh, um, lovely. Jack Klugman. No, not no. Jack Klugman. Uh, no, Tony Felix. Tony. Uh, the, the other one. Tony Curtis was Felix. No, no, no. no in, the, he in wasn't. the TV series. No, Jack it Lemon. wasn't Tony Curtis. It, it, oh, look, it was fantastic. He was a regular guest on Letterman, old school comic theatre actor. Um, t- oh, gee. Oh, sure, it was Tony Curtis. It's oh. not Tony Curtis, it's Tony someone else. But you said Tony and Letterman, and I thought of. Uh, t- oh, it's and you know what? I know my brother is listening to this show and just oh, shouting it at, sh- his, uh, at his no, sh- I'm sh- my brain it's, is shouting at me. Brett, you've got the internet so we're, there. We're you talking t- about the TV series, not TV, the TV. The TV series of uh, of the Odd Couple. Meanwhile, let me talk about Crumpler. Crumpler are our giveaway sponsors, and they give us bags to give to you. Excellent satchels we have at the moment uh, that you can fit heaps in. They're great for taking around. Great and, bags. And as uh, as Justin Hamilton uh, said uh, a few weeks ago, they are wonderful for keeping uh, three-year-old girls pee off. Uh, <laughs> go back and listen to that episode if Parenting you want to know. The, is a wonderful. If you thing. want to know the story there, but they are they are great, and I, I've attested to their waterproofness uh, as well. Our question for the quiz this week is: We were talking about the Gruen transfer. Where does the name Gruen transfer come from? Tony Randall. Tony. Ah! <laughs> Tony Randall, thank you. Because I wouldn't have gotten to sleep, Brad. Tony Randall. His dad's and friends. Uh, yeah. But yes, it was Tony Randall on Letterman all, all that time, not Tony Curtis. Okay. Yes. Uh, he died. Really? Tony Randall. Tony Randall, yeah. yeah, about five years ago now. Okay. Yeah, four or five years ago. Yeah. Uh, but great. Always hilarious. Sensation. Hilarious Sensation. on Letterman. Sensation. That's uh, that's classy. Just can't get anymore. So for uh, the so uh, correct answer, for the correct answer, where does the name the Gruen transfer come from? Uh, you send us an email to hooray at boxcutters.net or click on the contact us link yep. on and the boxcutters.net page. In the running for you'll see it on the video podcast. There is no video podcast. Yeah. It's a speaker, Brett. It's not a camera. It's brown with uh, the the orange trim. Yes, uh, glamour bag. The Western lawn. It's a it's, it's a, a fantastic. Bag. It's like a messenger bag. I guess it's a little bit smaller. Where does the name the Gruen transfer come from? Email us hooray at boxcutters.net. We need your answers by four p.m. next Monday the ninth. ninth. Thank you. Next Monday the ninth of June. Well, hang on. That's the Queen's birthday weekend. It's a public holiday. 
public holidays don't keep us back. Yeah, all right. we we okay. still come in. All right, that's fine. We we still come in. Okay, good. It's it's not a republic holiday, so uh, <laughs> when we get that, then we'll have a day. Yeah, off. then we'll have a day off. That's the quiz. Let us know. Hey, um, when I cast my pod, it's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters, pod, cast, done. Pork is on the table. Will, but you were telling us off air that uh, you saw a documentary on Bill Henson. After a foreign correspondent last Tuesday uh, just put the set-top box to record an extra hour and I was so gratified that I'd let it run for that long because it was an exquisite documentary. What, that, that repulsive, disgusting art uh, photographer? It, you know what, if the, if the Prime Minister doesn't like him, I don't like him. The music was <laughs> I don't think beautiful. the Prime Minister knows, knows what he's talking about. I mean, in documentary terms, it was fantastic uh, to see. And by the way, I had had earlier in the day a full, frank and free-ranging discussion with my wife about the merits of Bill Henson's artwork, none of which I own, mm. so I don't expect a visit from the local police to come down and ask me to remove it from my wall. But it was really informative because I'd not seen a lot of his work and in the wake of the controversy, I was, uh, as I say, gratified to watch a terrific documentary and I felt uh, most uh, fulfilled uh to have and he spoke and he's my age too by the way he's a he's a 1955 baby and just a really cool guy who's out there taking some sophisticated and 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 really skillful uh approaches to art in my humble opinion it is interesting how the media have been covering uh the issue over the last is is it been a week and a half a week yes something a week yeah a week and a bit um that you know obviously all the christian conservatives are are getting more than enough time on on their soapboxes on tv and radio and uh in print um and it's it's interesting that uh there's there's a lot less uh supporting Jim Henson, no, Bill, Bill Henson. Uh, yeah, the, well, you know what? It's it's very hard to uh, for for anyone. I've been I've been watching what the politicians have been saying, and uh, Turnbull's Ma- got a couple of his. Malcolm Turnbull has pieces. has a couple of Bill Henson pieces, and is a uh, and is a, a supporter of the arts, and and has been a supporter of the arts for for a long time, uh, and is the only the only politician who who could come out and and say well no it's it's art and and leave it alone but other than that it's very hard for a politician to come out and talk about uh, a piece that that is is possibly going to send someone to jail uh you know th- there is the possibility that bill henson will be up on charges for this for this photo it's very hard to come out in defense of a photo that may be used as evidence of child pornography, mm. uh, you know, and whether it is or not is is not the question. It's just very hard, and so it has been interesting to see how the media has has put politicians in a position where they've had to give an answer that they won't necessarily have uh, have agreed to. The uh, state premier of Victoria, John Brumby, uh, was put in a, a position like that on on radio. I don't think Red Simons would mind me quoting him in this regard. We were chatting about this at lunch and I said, well, you know, did you take calls on it? And he said he had taken calls. But the thing about it is that, in his words, I'm 
paraphrasing here, that on this particular subject, pornography or art, child pornography or art, people have already taken their positions. In fact, is any further discussion going to change anybody's mind? And this is what's happened with the Prime Minister coming out and also the New South Wales Police taking action, potentially, uh, if they become the arbiters of what is art in this country. It is, a re- and, and it's been said, I think, uh, is it Betty Churcher, the former director of the New South Wales Gallery, mm-hmm. uh, said that, you know, this is just, you know, I mean, these are beautiful works. So if, all of a sudden, if the Prime Minister and the police become the populist arbiters of what is art in this country, it's very dangerous. And I mean, it has ramifications not just for photographers, but for, 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 for painters, anybody in the art world. And I mean, you know, obscenity and child pornography, we are living in an age of hysteria. And it's hard to tell which is more disturbing, police going into not only the, the gallery that was having the initial exhibition that, uh, that kicked it all off, but into other galleries where pieces have been hanging for years. Exactly. And pulling those off. Um, whether that's more disturbing than uh, police going into uh, newspaper offices in search for uh, the journalistic Australia. sources. That's right. This, uh, this whole thing, I think, you know, is related to how art is is portrayed in, in the media. And, Wilbur, you said that you saw a documentary on SBS. Uh, ABC, actually. Uh, on, oh, sorry, I wanted to make ABC. that distinction. It, it followed foreign correspondence, sorry, and I yes. checked it before I came in tonight. So it was it was on it was on ABC ABC One uh, and uh, and ABC One had the the Sunday Arts program uh, SBS sometimes have documentaries about uh, about photographers about painters uh, about of about artists we don't get it anywhere else though there is no education on television about art there's no uh, furthering of, of of the mind when it when it comes to talking about art. And uh, this was kind of alluded to in a, a, an article in last week's Green Guide by Bridget McManus talking about uh, the game shows that we have now and how essentially they're just giving money to dumb people uh, and that it's, it's not about pursuing any kind of intelligence or thought or, uh, or, or kind of human betterment. There's just this uh, th- this idea of let's watch idiots get money. At least when art brings these topics up, they are discussed. Now, what are we going to do? We're just not going to discuss pedophilia. We're not going to discuss pornography anymore. That's not going to work. Mm. And this is, uh, you know, and, and this is why when shows are good, uh, when TV shows are good, and we get shows like The Sopranos or we get shows like The Wire that that deal with these issues in ways that we can that we can understand and uh, and and take on board uh, and can provoke discussion. Let alone underbelly. Well, underbelly's a, a, another story. Yeah. When we <laughs> finally get to see it, uh, the uh, but, from but what this, I've heard, <laughs> yes, yes, well, please. Uh, but you know these these shows are shows that should uh, push forward the the thoughts and processes of uh of our country and and our conversations that that we have and uh and I think there needs to be more art documentaries but they also need to be in a in a way that is entertaining I mean we were talking about the Gruen transfer before I think there's a perfect opportunity here for 
people to start thinking about things that they see every day in a different way. Yes. It's also what I was talking to, to what we were talking to James about with the, the cameraman. There is an opportunity for us to look at what we see every day and see it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I think that's all that's all very interesting. And I think that the part that television plays in this whole debacle is uh, is very important. There's a responsibility for everybody to uh, to take better care with with opinions. That, that's my two cents. Yeah. Mm. Something else that's uh, been uh, that come up in the last couple of days is uh, Q ratings. We've had uh, a little bit of uh, an insight into the popularity of uh, the breakfast show uh, presenters on Channel Nine and Channel Seven. Um, David Koch being uh, given a, a Q score rating of fourteen, um, which, which is a, that's a good that's a good score. Well, yeah, a score of ten and above is deemed high, with the low score being three and an average score of. Uh, uh, six um, Today show hosts uh, Carl Stefanovic and Lisa Wilkinson are six and five respectively. W- Richard Wilkins is uh, way down at four. Recognition of Wilkins scores around ninety one percent. So ninety one percent. So the Q rating isn't just recognition. No, it's, no, it's recognition and likability. It's uh, it's being regarded as must watch people. Right. And I can tell you that four or five years ago, Kerry-Ann Kennelly topped the Q score ratings. That's, that's extraordinary. I'm not sure where was she it, is was now. Was that she, recently? I reckon it was, yes. So around the... Uh, was that after the Macarena Costello kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, it, it would have been... I think on the strength of her Q score rating, she would have been given that show. Uh, yeah, it, extraordinary. Uh, uh, these These figures come out... And the industry fall over themselves to to deal with them. And slaves to research, Josh. But they're such shadowy figures. Like we, there's, it's not like Oztam publishing uh, the 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 results of their research. What, what um, do you mean, Oztam's not shadowy figures? Oztam, well, Oztam's Oztam's practices are shadowy, but their their results are always um, released like daily. We know, oh, well, yes. we know what a show rates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Q ratings... Well, there's no, there's no real reason for... There's a business reason for Q rate ratings to be uh, released. There's no real uh, social interest reason for, uh, for Q ratings oh, to I be released on... I think it would explain Kyle and Jackie O taking over Big Brother. Uh, it, but that's, ex- that's explained by... Explains why, why, why uh, people keep on getting that Joe... What's her face in to destroy their shows? Just Joe Stanley. Joe Stanley. <laughs> kiss of death, Stanley. She's the kiss of death. She's, yeah, she started turning up on the panel that went. Uh, brain, Brainiac. Uh, Bread. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All these shows. Go on. Uh, uh, yeah, Jasmine's getting married. Ooh, stinker. Uh, yeah, I think, I think Q ratings is a, a really interesting part of of the entertainment industry. And uh, they, I had a Q rating book in my house once. Really? The, it, it was sent, uh, it, it was sent for someone to, to fill out. And no, uh, and uh, it was just a whole list of uh, personalities or non-personalities as, uh, as you rate them and, uh, and asked all these questions about them and you, you tick or you cross or you circle and, uh, and then you send the, the book back and someone goes through and, and, and puts all of this together and comes up with a, a number between, I'm guessing, 1 and 20. 
uh, it's, uh, I'm guessing if it goes, and if, I bet I you, have to be twenty. I bet yeah. your careers have been made or broken over them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, and and it doesn't it doesn't matter how good you are at your job. It no. doesn't matter how how proficient you are. It's all about your marketability. Hmm. I'd, I'd also heard that uh, um, Andrew Denton was quite high up, and and he kind of protects that by not uh, signing up for any advertising of anything. He's never done an advertising campaign for anything, um, and so it's yes, it's about, being, it's about being trusted. Oh, take it when um, it comes, love. <laughs> I think it's about being trusted. KFC, McDonald's, Coca Cola, Crown Casino, just bring it on. Uh, currently, put, put it all in a bucket. Currently, Hugh Jackman is the the top scoring uh, Q rating Australian, um, and Ernie Dingo is also up at the top of the list. He, you mean Wolverine? Yeah, Wol- Wolverine is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wolverine would have a, a huge a, a huge Q rating, but uh, yeah. I don't know so much about the the guy Didn't who helped uh, Viva Lachlan. Yeah, I don't know much about the guy who made Viva Lachlan. But Wolverine, sure, <laughs> get him on the show. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, get him, Definitely. Get him wear those, uh, those, those gloves there. He can carve up a bit of the set. <laughs> in fact, uh, get rid of Sam Newman. Let's get Wolverine. Yeah. And of course. Uh, yeah. What about the guy from Viva Lachlan? Nah. No, 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 him, no. Nah, not getting it. With, uh, with the Sunrise crew uh, being well ahead on the uh, Q ratings, Channel 9 saying, oh, we, don't, we don't take any notice of that stuff. Now, by but the they way, are pointing out that Anna Corrin is, uh, is falling down well, and, in, and let's, in her Q And let's also, let's also point out that uh, Channel 9 uh, are winning the ratings at the moment mm. uh, nationally. I think that's, a, now, that's an important point. You've to make. mentioned Koshy and Mel and mm. Carl and... Um, the other one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kylie? No. Carl and Lisa. 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 Your pardon. Yep. With respect. What is the important, what is the big deal about this, these morning television shows? Not I mean, that how many, many people pe- watch How many people are watching? Eight. Uh, Eight people. Eight people are watching. For three. Channel 7 and six people are watching Channel 9. No, it's actually three and five. Three and five. Three, three, three are watching nine, five people are watching the Channel 7. How many I people? think it's about uh, 550 versus Tiny nationally. Tiny nationally. figures. That's seven nationally. Now, they're getting annihilated by breakfast radio, I'll tell you right now. And that's because how many people can, you know, during that time of day, juggling whatever they need to do, watch TV? Mm. Uh, 550,000 single mothers? No, I don't think so. 550,000 working fathers? No. Because you're having a cup of tea, you're putting, you know, you're just getting out of the house listening to radio while you're driving. And uh, it's, there's a huge or a disproportionate amount of... Attention paid to... Attention paid, thank you. Breakfast probably. TV, the, yeah. You know what? The, the only breakfast show I've ever really watched, other than morning cartoons, uh, is the Today Show from the US, and that's because it used to be on Channel 7 at midnight, from midnight to 2am. Bright and Jane. And... Giant brain. And I would... Uh, I would now watch it's on that. about 4am. I'd watch that, but that's because I was home and not really doing anything other than getting ready for bed or, or just watching it before going to sleep. Or, I kind of like the news you know, that comes out of the States too. I have a little bit of an affinity with that, you know, and they're in New York, in Rockefeller Plaza, and there's people exciting, waving, and, and it's, it's Bryant Gumble, who was a very bright guy, talked about golf every now and then, and Jane was there, and then it was Deborah Norville, and I think Bryant, Bryant, Deborah. 
over to Bryant and Deborah. Over to Bryant, James. And then, Giant and then brain. every every everybody who uh, everybody who Bryant sat next to got pregnant and uh, and then yeah. and then moved on. I was that's pissed off we never got Regis and Kathy. That's you know that's my thing. Uh, that I, I I never I never liked the look of that show. <laughs> I love that's, I love Regis on Letterman. Now it's just hilarious. It's just fantastic and oh, comfy yeah. and beautiful. You know. He's, of course, now it's uh, Regis and Kelly Ripper. Um, I did very briefly mention that uh, Sam Newman has been pulled from the footy show. Uh, Billy Brownless was sitting in the Newman seat uh, on Thursday How did night. that go? Um, oh, it was okay. It was kind of weird. It, it took me... I, I wasn't watching from the beginning. I kind of tuned in towards the end, and it was actually... They didn't have that many wide shots, so it took me a little while to figure out how they'd uh, kind of organised the, the panel there. The right. Set. Um, but... Uh, Will the removal of Sam Newman bring women back to the show? And if so, why? No, the show's dead, Wilbur. The show is dead. <sighs> Boy, that's a strident <laughs> statement to make. It's <laughs> been running for something like four, 14, probably. Help me out here. 14 years. Be around that. Around and, that. It's, and, it's been, and it's been in palliative care for the last three. <laughs> it, it, it hasn't been Just what pull it once the plug. was since Eddie left. Uh, Eddie is a classy operator, and and uh, kind of trying to trying to replace him with Brayshaw and Lyons. It just it it doesn't work like that. That that distracted the focus enough as it was. Um, I understand. Pull pull the, the plug. Co- the two co-hosts. Pull the yep. plug and split all the money up against the grandchildren. I think that's uh, that's that's the thing for for the footy show. It's it's gone, and now now you know they they had they had the footy uh, the footy images. When Nine had the footy, yeah. now they've only got some of the footy images from, from Foxtel. But it started off without the footy images. It started off of without course. the footy images, right. and but in the time in between when they had the footy images, when they had all that footage... Was it utilised to its full extent? Well, probably not. Not for but, the footy show, but the footy show wasn't but about that. did they start to rely on it a little bit? Yes. Have they, they? have they forgotten what they used to have back in the day? I think they have. Lost a bit of focus on the uh, mission, so to speak. I think so. The... Guiding hand that was behind the advent of the footy show was Ian Johnson, now general manager at uh, Seven. And to go to him with something like that, just uh, I think Harvey Silver uh, was sort of the executive producer in those days. And um, in fact, I saw a quote from Harvey about Sam the other day. I thought he was quite diplomatic about the whole thing too. Um, For it to actually exist is... Really, a great thing, you know, for what it was when it started. And Jono uh, had focus, and he had Eddie, and it was, you know, he's a pretty important component of it. And he had Kerry. You know, this is this is something that we we also forget. When the show started, it was still under the auspices of, of Kerry Packer. Yeah. And uh, and the things he made sure happened on his networks, the shows were tighter. Yeah, and uh, and and a lot more focused. And he wouldn't, he would not stand for any of this that's happening now with the with the footy show. Absolutely not. He'd pull it well, in. Yeah. Well, well, and I, I I think that there's no way that uh, Sam Newman's response the week after attacking the the female directors of of the various uh, football clubs would have been the case. Oh, I, abso- I think that he would have been ordered to be on there apologising for it. Absolutely, and this is you know, and this is this is what I mean when I say the show is dead. I mean the, the show is is not what it was. It's not even the it's not even the footy show anymore. Mm. It's it's blokes just 
setting up scenarios for Trevor Marmalade to make jokes. That's one thing about Kerry Packer, just to back you up a little bit, that he he watched, he actually watched the shows and, in fact, watched Mulray to say, you're not going back for the second half. Station. Yeah, that was was that it? The quote. That's the the, the uh the yeah, the the apocryphally. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that and the, that the, what I brought that up for though was uh, more annoyingly somebody uh, on the panel had the sniffles and just kept on sniffing. Oh, oh really? And uh, whoever was controlling the audio didn't bother about uh, you know figuring out who it was and, and fading them down a little bit so that we didn't have to put up with that for the 15 minutes that I watched. Maybe it was through the whole show. Well, that's, uh, that's almost as, as annoying as a, a click and sharp intake of breath. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us to the end of Box Cutters, episode 135. I want to say thank you so much to Wilbur Wilde for joining us. As co-host yet again, it's always great. That's really good. Yeah, Are you enjoying well, look, it. Yeah, well, I, I really like it. You know, coming in here and having a chat with you guys, and you really know your stuff. And and as usual, I'm loud, confident, and mostly wrong. So <laughs> thank you for having me. Well, and and we'd love we'd love to have you back. Also, thanks so much to James Talia for calling in all the way from the Europe. Uh, it's fascinating, it, wasn't it? It really, really was. And that story he's working on at the moment, uh, I just think, is uh, extraordinary. Uh, so good luck to you, James, with with that. I also want to say thanks to Crumpler, our giveaway sponsors. If you want to enter the quiz for a Crumpler bag, hooray at boxcutters.net is the address to send it to. Crumpler make excellent bags. I didn't, I know, a- I didn't mention uh, the name of the Gruen transfer is uh, an annoying thing for me as well. Why does it have to be kind of that kind of smart-ass clever? Well, I don't no, know. It's bloody Denton, you know. You yeah. know what he's like. Mm-hmm. You know, makes you think about stuff. I also want to say thanks to 3RRR, whose I, I studios we use for recording this podcast each and every week. I'd almost expect them to rip off one of our titles. Like, I don't buy it. That'd be a great name for an advertising hey, TV show, wouldn't hey, it? Hey, look, Denton's never ripped off an, a name of a show from me. No, he'd always ne- ring and ask first. Always. Yeah. Always. Oh, my Crumpler camera bag that I got last time is sensational. Oh, excellent. It's a great Crumpler camera bag. I can thoroughly recommend it. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm Wilbur Wilde. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. And hey, let's be careful out there. Mm-hmm.